everybody. Welcome back to the Chicken and Rice radio podcast. I'm your host, Tevin, and uh, this is episode number six, where I'm going to be talking about different diet strategies, pros and cons. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through a list, and I'm just going to quickly describe what it is without going too far into each of these, and then I'm going to give you uh, a non-medical version of why I think it's pro and con. So a lot of these I've done, a lot of these I haven't, uh, and this information is anecdotal in some sense. So just take that with a grain of salt. Some of these I would like to get some guests on the podcast and then talk about their experience with different diets. But I did want to throw out a couple of these out there. So if you're looking to start a diet, you don't really have a whole lot of direction. There's a lot of options out there. And, uh, and I'm just going to give you a few. I think I have a list of about 19 different diets. And so let's go ahead and get started. This podcast actually took quite a bit of time to prepare just because of the sheer amount of notes. I've actually got 10 pages of notes here that I'm going to be running through each of these diets. So, um, so if any of these interest you, or if you have any questions, shoot me an email at thetrainertevin at gmail.com, or just find me on Facebook and Instagram at thetrainertevin. And I think, well, no, I've got, I've got one more, one more quick announcement before I get started here. Uh, I just wanted to announce that I passed my NASM certified personal trainer test, so I'm now bona fide. These last couple of episodes I've been in the process of re-getting my trainer certification. So if you guys didn't know, I was a trainer back in 2011. It was late 2011 and that trainer certification expired late 2013. So I got back into it, signed up for NASM, and uh, I got recertified here just last night. So um, if you're listening to this, it's right around July. Well, I got recertified July 2nd, so happy 4th of July. So far, 2020 has been okay for me. Um, I think outside of all the COVID bullshit, um, it's, you know, a really good year for personal accomplishments. And so not to pat myself on the back too much, but I, I was pretty proud of that. Uh, that test was no joke, and so I'll just take that as a win. <laughs> So anyways, without rambling too much, let's go ahead and get into it because I've got quite a bit of different diets. So if you guys could, if you're listening, just give me a a review in iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you can give me a review because that's going to give me more listeners and more people that want to listen to the podcast and then hopefully that'll give me some people to talk to on the podcast that are interested and just hearing about diets or maybe if you've got somebody who you know or yourself who's got an interesting story when it comes to the way that they've lost weight or a unique dieting strategy maybe you'll find it on this list or something along those lines just send them my way and I'll get in contact with them and hopefully I can interview them on the podcast and this uh, this podcast will hopefully take flight once I've got more of a conversation piece between me and another person. In the meantime, let's go ahead and get started. So the first diet I want to talk about today is intermittent fasting. You've heard me mention it a few times on the podcast. It's fasting for a certain period of the day, 
a small window of time for caloric restriction. So a lot of times you'll see people who maybe they don't eat for 18 hours and then have got a six hour eating window where they'll eat as much food, or I shouldn't say as much food as they can, but it's, it, sometimes it's the case. So the pros with this is it lowers your calorie consumption if it's done effectively, which means that you can lose weight just by restricting your calories by limiting the amount of time that you're actually eating food. Anyway, uh, pros lowers calorie consumption if you're done if you do it right, and it can improve your insulin sensitivity. Um, and I'll get into insulin sensitivity here in a, a little bit, probably during this podcast. But it can. This is one of those diets that can improve it. One of the cons, it can reduce the window of effective muscle protein synthesis. So if you go back and listen to episode two, you can hear me talk about muscle protein synthesis and how to maximize that throughout the day. So when you're eating for a short while, maybe it's six or eight hours, you've got to get it just right. And, uh, and I feel like a lot of people fall short on that. And then one of the other cons is it can cause gorging on food during the eating window which means that you say, or you almost reward yourself in a way for not eating for the 18 hour period, which includes sleeping, waking up, going to work, etc., getting home, and then maybe pounding some ice cream or some soda or whatever. It's not, it's not an effective diet if you do that, and you can put on more fat and lose more muscle that way if you do it incorrectly. So just take that with a grain of salt. Uh, intermittent fasting is a good tool if you know what you're doing. And so, once again, if you have any questions about any of these diets, just shoot me a message. Um, Some of these diets can cause an unhealthy relationship with food. And I think that as you get consumed with trying to restrict calories, eventually it can create the psychological, like, hey, I don't want to eat food. So, intermittent fasting and fasting, these are two diets that I think can create like a bad relationship with food. So just be conscious of that when you're when you're picking out a diet and just making sure that, you know, if if you're restricting calories too much or if you feel like what you're doing is unhealthy, reach out to me and I'll and I'll help you out. That's really not something I'm gonna charge anybody for or anything like that. Just information is, you know, it's always helpful. Fasting. Fasting is diet number two. Fasting is it's basically not eating anything for multiple days at a time, consuming only water, coffee, unsweetened tea, and things that have zero calorie. And I'm gonna talk about like zero calorie monsters or whatever, cause there's discretionary calories in there. And what I, you know, that's not information that I looked up before I did that with the discretionary calories, quote unquote. But I know that when people measure calories, they measure it in kilocalories, which means every thousand calorie is what we know as a calorie when we're just looking it up in a book. So if it doesn't quite reach that, then you can get carbs from that. This is an inf- this is a diet that I wouldn't recommend trying without doing your research. And I've got a coworker who does it. Hopefully I could get him on the podcast. I haven't talked to him about it or anything like that yet. But um, but he's gone you know several days at a time, 10 days or something like that without eating. And he says that it feels like he's in ketosis. Um, And that's the idea, is that you're quickly kicked into a state of ketosis where the body converts triglycerides into ketones for energy rather than energy derived from food. 
But yeah, hopefully we can get someone to talk about it. Until I do an episode on fasting, I wouldn't try it. Just because there's not a whole lot of... I mean, there's good information out there. But really, do your research before you do it. Because consuming extremely low calories before are, is actually worse than consuming none at all. So just keep, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, it's the least expensive diet, so that's a pro. One of the other pros is that it can improve insulin sensitivity. When I mention insulin sensitivity, um, I'm going to mention it a few times during this podcast. But basically, having low insulin sensitivity is diabetes and prediabetes. So if you're sensitive to insulin, that's a good thing. Because that means your body needs to produce less insulin for your body to respond to it. And insulin is a primary driver for fat storage and lowering blood glucose, obviously. Um, it's a primary driver for fat storage, so when I say these diets improve insulin sensitivity, that's a good thing. So fasting, intermittent fasting, the two pros of those are that they improve insulin sensitivity, which means you don't have to eat a whole lot of carbs to produce insulin, and then conversely, you don't really convert a whole lot into fat at that point. One of the other pros of fasting is your hunger can subside over time so you won't actually be hungry while you're fasting and like i said this is another podcast for another day but but yeah your hunger subsides over time obviously less calories equals weight loss so if that's your goal that's good for that the last pro for fasting i would say on this quick episode is that when you're in ketosis a greater percentage of fat is actually used for energy versus carbohydrates. So that would be a pro for fasting. Cons of fasting, obviously you can't eat anything at all. Um, if you eat anything, um, even if it's a fingernail, that kicks you out of ketosis and that's when the hunger comes back and doesn't go away. So um, you can't eat anything at all. There's no cheating on this diet. The first few days, now fasting isn't something I've tried, but the first few days you'll probably be really, really hungry. So once you get over that hill, that's one that's actually decent. Let me see. Inadequate vitamin and mineral consumption, it can lead to muscle loss over time and it can lead to hormonal imbalances over time. So that's one of the main reasons why I wouldn't recommend this diet, just based off of your hormones and your body's natural energy sources it usually, you know, I mean, it comes from food. So as long as you're burning energy, you need something coming in. So, and I'll do an episode on this for sure. Hopefully I can get that guest on here and we can really dive deep into it. But for now, that's the pros and cons for fasting. Diet number three, the ketogenic diet. I wanted to try to organize these and make sure everything was all sort of in somewhat organized. Uh, ketogenic uh, once again, something that kicks you into ketosis. It's a very low-carb diet with higher percentage of fats for calories. Generally, macros for this diet are 70% fat, 20 to 25% protein, and 5 to 10% carbs. So, once again, it uses ketosis uh, for energy. So, it will convert fat storage into uh, usable energy. Um, this one is definitely going to have its own podcast, so I need to cover this one more in depth, but let's just get into the pros and cons of ketosis. Basically, obviously, it's a very high-fat diet. One of the pros, ketosis means more fat for energy, 
this is another diet that can improve insulin sensitivity. And then above fasting, you can actually optimize muscle protein synthesis throughout the day. So if you're trying not to lose muscle, it's a lot more effective for that. When coming up with a good body fat composition and putting you into a state where you can maintain weight loss, I would believe that ketosis based off of the muscle protein synthesis and how you can actually get vitamins and minerals from fats like fat soluble vitamins etc this would be a lot better in terms of a sustainable weight loss strategy than fasting um, one of the cons is excessive protein consumption can keep you out of ketosis so you've really got to nail that that protein macro otherwise you're just going to feel crummy all the time um, it's, an, it's another all-or-nothing diet, so you can't really cheat and just have carbs. Because if you have carbs throughout the day, that would just make it a low-carb diet. You're never really going to get into ketosis if you have carbs. I'm going to, like I said, this is definitely on my list of things to make a podcast about. But, like I said, it's not one that you can cheat on. That's a con. If it's done incorrectly, it's technically just low-carb, which isn't inherently bad. Um... Let me see. Okay, so let's get into number four, paleo. So paleo is, you know, I was going to put this under my fad diets section, but but it's not, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a fad diet. What it is, is it's consuming foods that would typically be consumed by our Neanderthal ancestors, if you will. But I'm not personally a huge fan of this diet because one, I mean, life expectancy back then was like 30 or 40 years old anyway, and then we would just have, um, like we would, if we lived in a certain area, we would have a much less diverse option of what foods we would actually be available based off of our geographic location. So you see a lot of these paleo people eating like cranberries and pineapples, but cranberries are grown in a bog and pineapples are tropical, so it's kind of like, you know, anyway, um, Pros, there's no processed foods, which can, you know, be good for your digestive health, and then you can actually feel just a little bit more healthy if you cut out all the extra crap. Uh, but one of the cons, it doesn't do much more than that. So it, it's, I mean, any of these diets that don't mention macros or calories, there's generally less weight loss involved because you're not tracking the amount that you eat. But if you restrict the amount that you eat, then that's when weight loss happens. So um, next one on the list, number five, carnivore diet. This one's self-explanatory. It's only meats, eggs, fish, dairy, which means that you're only eating animal-based products. One of the pros is it can be good for specific autoimmune diseases. Uh, let me see. You can possibly get into ketosis if you don't eat too much protein, but too much protein keeps you out of ketosis. So depending on how much you eat can determine how much fat you'll actually lose. Um, you won't get any carbs out of this diet. Uh, one of the cons is if not enough fats are consumed, and I haven't researched this, I'm just making an assumption, you could possibly see a deterioration in the key roles that fat plays in the body, and this goes for fasting as well. So if you don't have that many fats in your diet, there's going to be loss of brain function. There's going to be loss of vital functions in the body. So that's kind of where fats play a role in the diet. Um, let me see. Next one, after carnivore, I put vegetarian. This is diet number six. Vegetarian, vegan, and plant-based diets are all 
obviously these are the ones we've heard of before so it's only eating plant-based foods or very little animal-based products such as fish depending on who you have plant-based is a little bit more loose in terms of what you can have i've heard of people having plant-based diets and then having like eggs and stuff like that so but plant-based i believe is more just geared towards eating you know a very high percentage of plant-based foods one of the pros is additional vitamins and minerals are consumed through food sources over other diets in general because you're getting more vitamins more fruits etc um, it cuts out a lot of dino options which means that healthier just by cutting out some of the junk in the diet can help you feel healthier and then it helps people satisfy satisfy some moral obligations towards animal rights etc etc i'm not going to get into that okay so cons uh, lots of digestive enzymes are necessary for digesting meat so a lot of vegetarians who have a hard time that uh, they have a hard time digesting meat after they go vegetarian for an extended period of time and then they'll throw up meat if they consume it um, the reason why this happens is because protein is actually broken down in the stomach and if you don't have the enzymes to do that then you're too sensitive to actually have it so you've got to rebuild protein and meat etc back into the diet another one is that you need to supplement protein in the diet without uh, i mean if you want to get enough protein without consuming too much carbs so there is a way to do to combine carbohydrates so a lot of the um let me see here a lot of the proteins derived from plant-based sources are incomplete proteins meaning that you don't have all of the essential amino acids in the diet without consuming a combination of foods such as oats and nuts you've got to have those together to get a complete protein which means that you've actually got to consume a, a lot of carbs in order to get the necessary amount of protein that your body would need for necessary uh, muscle protein synthesis so just keep that in mind that supplementing protein is a must for this diet especially if you don't want your body to take a huge dump in terms of body composition so sometimes vegetarians are cognizant of that and then they lose weight and sometimes they are not and i mean vegetarian could just be like eating potato chips as well right so just keep that in mind that there's also an unhealthy way to do each of these diets the next diet number seven is the fodmap diet FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Um, this diet is recommended for people with IBS and probably Crohn's. I don't, I don't know a lot about Crohn's. Other people can benefit from this also, though. So just to clean up the diet long-term and reduce bloating, improve digestion. But I wanted to touch on this real quick because there's a lot of foods online that they suggest cutting out of your diet. But if you don't have IBS or Crohn's, it's not recommended long term because you can lose the digestive enzymes necessary for breaking down these foods. What FODMAPs are is they are, I mean, obviously I told you the name fermentable, oligosaccharides, etc. What they are is they're foods that are hard to break down in your stomach. So if you have IBS or, like I said, I don't know about Crohn's, but I would actually assume that this would help with Crohn's let's say so apples are on the list the skin of the apple is actually really hard to digest so you've got, if you have too much of this all at once it actually builds up in your stomach because your stomach 
takes a long time to break this food down. So, so that's what that is for. But if you don't have IBS or Crohn's, you can, um, you can actually do a FODMAP diet and then lose a lot of the bloating in your stomach. And you could lose a couple pounds just by doing that because when your body's trying to break something down, you're holding on to more water. So it, it's almost like losing water weight more than anything else, but improving your digestion is gonna go a long way in terms of uh, weight loss. So if you're interested in FODMAP, there's lots of lists online. So just Google FODMAP diet and it will give you, um, it's F-O-D-M-A-P diet. It'll give you some foods to cut out. And some, some of these foods you might not even eat, you know, just on a regular basis. But check it out, and this is a good way to improve your digestion. The next one after FODMAP is gluten-free. Gluten-free is recommended for people with celiac, but you won't, I mean, you probably won't notice a difference in health or weight by cutting out gluten if you don't have celiac. So I just wanted to throw that one in there. I put gluten-free right before fad diets because I've seen people use it as a fad diet, like, oh, I'm cutting out gluten. It's like, you probably won't lose weight by cutting out gluten unless you have celiac. Um, but anyways, fad diets are diets like Weight Watchers, Nutrisystem, the quote-unquote Whole Foods Diet 30-10 or anything like that. Anything that's kind of uh, elimination style diet that cuts out things like carbs, breads, pasta, etc these would be considered a fad diet and these tend to come in waves of popularity and die out as time goes on like the atkins diet where people you know they got really crazy about atkins which turns out it was a lot like keto <laughs> and then they uh, and then they, and now they just go keto but these are some of them i'm not going to say they're all bad but some of them are some of them are not very intelligently set up in my opinion where I think that a balanced diet is going to be your best option either way for any diet. It doesn't create any unhealthy relationships with food and, um, and it's just going to, you know, it's going to make you happier depending on, you know, if you don't have that moral obligation against meat or anything for vegetarianism and, and stuff like that. But if you're just cutting out bread, then I'm assuming you don't really know what carbs do and why carbs can be a good thing. So. So just keep that in mind. When I'm talking about fad diets, like I said, they're not all bad. I heard 30-10 is more of an educational thing where like 30 stands for protein you can have in a diet or like per meal and then like 10 stands for grams of fiber. People require different amounts of fiber, but, but if it's trying to base it off of educating people, then I believe that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Some of the pros, um, some people find success through fad diets, you know, they, you know, there's usually some decent information about the diet itself online, but one of the cons is people kind of jump from fad diet to fad diet, don't really lose a whole lot of weight because they don't educate themselves on caloric restriction, or they just don't want to feel hungry when the time comes, and, and hunger is a big part of cutting calories, like you're going to feel hungry. I've done it, I've done some cuts and stuff. So I would definitely just pay attention to that. You know, if you're losing weight and you're not hungry, or if you're on a diet and you're not hungry, chances are, unless it's certain diets, because I heard keto, I mean, I've done keto, I still kind of felt hungry on it, but, you know, certain diets will cut that hunger more than others. So one of the other cons is uh, the structure of the diet. 
They have a fair amount of information and whether or not that information is good or bad depends on the diet. But I would, I would try to stay away from things like this unless you don't have other options. Learning about food or educating yourself on macros and stuff like that is really the best option long term. But yeah, the next one, uh, and this is kind of in line with the FODMAP diet, is the anti-inflammatory diet. Um, so some foods can cause inflammation of the joints, connective tissues, anti-inflammatory diet was designed to help people with things like arthritis and ulcerative colitis. So if you have either of those, then this is sort of a, this is an elimination style diet, but it should help with those issues. And I've heard of people cutting out things like, you know, like tomatoes and stuff like that. I didn't, I don't know a whole lot about that diet in particular, so I don't have a whole lot to say about it. But if you have arthritis, if you have tendonitis, or if you have um, if you have ulcerative colitis, then that's an option for you. So that one is the anti-inflammatory diet. Once again, I don't think that's going to help you lose weight in terms of you know what diet you should have. It all comes down to caloric restriction uh, for weight loss or a caloric surplus for weight gain. So depending on what your goal is, that's um, that's really the, the way to go. But that's just gonna give you a list of healthy options that you can eat that'll help bring the swelling of your joints and tendons down. That way you have a little more comfort. So anti-inflammatory diet. Next one is not really a diet, but it's the palm fist fist. It is a, it's kind of, it's just a method for measuring your food. And I just threw this in there because, I don't know, I've, I've heard people call it a diet, but let me see, it's basically your way to measure your food. So palm would be, like the size of your palm would be the amount of meat you should have in a meal, and then if you make a fist, it's the amount of carbohydrates you should make, and then another fist is the amount of vegetables you should have. So it's just a way to like set up your meal. So it's palm, fist, fist protein, carbs, um, vegetables. And a lot of times the dietary fat that comes out of that is gonna come from the meat in your diet. So sometimes people are more susceptible to losing weight with that kind of structure. I don't know, it just depends on how much you eat really. The next one is gonna be carb cycles. Carb cycles, it's pretty self-explanatory when you say carb cycles because that's basically what you're doing. You're just cycling carbs. I would, I could do a whole podcast on carb cycles and I probably will. I like doing carb cycles because it kind of keeps your metabolism at a certain set point uh, while you restrict calories. So basically you keep protein and fat about the same and then you fluctuate your carbs throughout the week. So you've got days where carbs are high, medium or low depending on your goal. So, so if you want to lose weight, obviously uh, lower calories you'd have like three or four low carb days, one to two medium carb days, and then one to two high carb days in a week. So the high carb days, if I was gonna set up your diet, would just be what your maintenance calories are. So the amount of calories that you would consume to maintain your weight, that would be a maintenance calorie, and that would be your high carb day. The other days would be like caloric restriction, so you'd eat less on those days, and you'd cut your carbohydrates just a little bit more. So. One of the pros, one of the pros is uh, when you remove more and more carbs from your diet and exercise more and more, your metabolism gets slower over time. But the higher the carb days, the higher carb days, they counteract the slowing of your metabolism. Putting higher carb days on your workout days can actually help you get the most out of your workout. So, let me see. 
This is a diet that actually does promote a, a healthy relationship with food when you're not scared to have more on certain days and less on other days. Obviously, you're still kind of in the mood to lower or increase calories, but this one, giving you that high carb day is really going to give you, you know, a chance to have a cheat meal or something along those lines so that you know, okay, this is a diet, but I'm not glued to this and food isn't necessarily the enemy because it keeps your metabolism right where it's at. So say your, say your metabolic set point or whatever is like 2200 calories and your high carb day is 2200 calories. Every other day that you eat throughout the week or the five days or whatever that you eat, those are lower calories, calorie restriction days, but on those days you can kind of relax and you know just get the food that you want to eat within your guidelines there. So let me see one of the cons. Um, it requires additional self-control on higher carb days so you don't just lose it on like cheat meals, etc. And let me see, or just not randomly switching multiple low carb day low carb days into medium or high carb days. That takes a little bit of self-control as well. So next diet. Bodybuilding bulk and shred diets. These are generally macro-based diets that are higher in protein. This is what I've done for about four and a half years now, and um, generally there's a bulking phase where you focus on building muscle in a caloric uh, surplus, and then you'll need to accept a little bit of fat gain during these, this phase, and then a cutting phase where you slowly subtract calories from your diet, and then you lose fat. So when you gain the muscle and you lose the fat, that's when you kind of build that bodybuilding physique. You need to be a little more strict on this diet and a little more meticulous. So this is something that takes some research and sometimes some guidance, but at the same time, you could learn a great deal by doing this diet, which is kind of where a lot of my knowledge for nutrition started from. And it was kind of just doing things that I thought were right, but I didn't know why they were right. And so I just found some initial success until I kind of learned more about it. So that's something that you could do. One of the first videos that I saw online before I did it, it was uh, Evan Centipani on bodybuilding.com back in 2016. He made this uh, this video. It was like eating for a, for a bodybuilder or something like that. And then he just went through all of his meals throughout the day. And then he kind of talked about like, this is what I eat. And then a couple hours later, this is what I eat. And it just seemed like the same thing over and over again. But I imitated that in a way. And uh, obviously I'm not you know, 300 pound bodybuilder, but, but for my own goals and realizing I only need to eat this much, imitating that, I saw some success from that. So if you're interested in that, just, I mean, all you really need to do is YouTube bodybuilding diet or whatever. And well, there's a lot of people who do that where they're like, this is what I eat throughout the day. And then you just watch it. Anyway, um, I got a little carried away with that, but, uh, but yeah, I could do a whole podcast on bodybuilding diet because that's something I'm really familiar with. But basically there's bulking and shredding phases and the pros are you can build your body composition kind of the way that you want it. So if you want to be more lean, you can do more cuts. If you want to be more uh, bulky, you could do more weight gain. Uh, but just know fat comes along with the, with the bulking phases. Um, next diet, if it fits your macros, I-I-F-Y-M. I think a lot of people have heard of this diet, or at least maybe I don't. <laughs> I don't know, uh, flexible versus clean eating is kind of uh, the same thing, where it's a macro-based diet, so carbs, fats, and proteins, 
and you need to hit those macro levels. And as long as you hit those macros, it doesn't really matter what you eat or when. And I've seen some people, you know, this is this is a really successful diet because it usually gives you structure in terms of how many calories you can actually eat throughout the day. One of the pros is you could be as flexible as you want as long as you don't miss your numbers by a huge margin. You know, usually if you're off by like 20 or 30 calories, it's not a huge deal. So, you know, if you overeat just a little bit, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be crazy. And if, as long as you're in a, a calorie deficit over time, you'll still lose weight. But one of the cons is if you save all your macros to the end of the day, like if you just have like this huge meal to kind of hit your macros, say you didn't get enough fat in throughout the day and you're just trying to get the fat in, what are you eating? Like butter? <laughs> like, I don't know. But I've heard of people saving their protein till the end of the day or saving their carbs so they can just have a big meal. But if you go back and listen to, to episode one, um, where I talk about putting on additional fat and different ways that you, you can do that, that's one way you can do it, is just saving all your carbs at the end of the day and then having them all at once. Like that's, I mean, that's not a great strategy. And then uh, a lot of people miss the mark on maximizing muscle protein synthesis if you save all your protein till the end of the day as well. So I've seen people do that. Generally, if you space out your meals, though, there's not really an issue with the uh, if it fits your macros style diet, which leads me to the topic of flexible versus clean eating. Obviously, I eat a complex carb diet uh, like, like rice and protein, like chicken or steak derived from meat. These foods are very easy to manipulate the macros and make dieting and uh, hitting your macros easier. So if you're not eating nutrient-dense foods and getting your carbs from sources like soda, you know, you're going to have a harder time with flexible dieting and switching to more basic foods will probably benefit you in terms of uh, feeling more full throughout the day, not having those blood sugar spikes um, and, and whatnot. And as soon as you go off the rails in terms of like eating junk food, that's when the rest of the day gets harder. So if you have like the junk food and stuff, if you save it till the end of the day, like if you're strict throughout the day and you just kind of have it at the end of the day to finish hitting your macros, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So clean, clean eating, it's really easy to track those calories. Flexible dieting, you know, you've got to kind of do more work throughout the day. And the last, the last meal I wanted to talk about was meal prep services like trifecta. Trifecta is the only one that I could really think of off the top of my head, but these are these are companies that will send you balanced meals in the mail and then you'll get it in the mail and you're like, okay, these are the, the healthy meals that I have to eat throughout the day. And they're a little bit more expensive, that's for sure. That's one of the hard cons of the, the meal prep services, but if you add up how much you eat throughout the month, like probably two, three hundred dollars worth of food, I think it's comparable. Like it's, it's probably only like a hundred or two hundred dollars more, which if you make enough money for that, you know, that's great. Um, it's a good sound investment for, uh, for weight loss to have a really balanced diet. One of the pros, there's no cooking. There's no measuring food. There's no looking at calories. I, well, I mean, I'm assuming what I would have to go online and check out their, their website, but I'm assuming you put in what your goals are and they match that and send you the meal. So what they're doing is they're cooking, they're prepping the food, and then you just, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a microwave meal or what, but, but I've heard that these services have made a lot of successful people 
really successful and uh, and that's always an option. If you're interested in something like that, that's called trifecta and there's going to be, there's, good, there's a lot more than trifecta, that's just the only one that I could think of off the top of my head. But yeah, so a lot of athletes are sponsored by by things like Trifecta. So I think I think Regan Grimes is sponsored by Trifecta. I don't know. But what you can do is you can search for athletes that sponsor certain things like, like protein or whatever or even these meal prep services and they'll give you an offer code that says like Grimes 10 or something for Regan Grimes. Like Grimes 10 will give you 10% off or something like that. So if you're looking for a deal on supplements or meal prep services like this, I would search for their athletes and then they'll give you a discount on that as well. So, um, well, there you have it guys. A lot of these diets need more of a deep dive, more of a, um, more of, you know, their own podcast to get into the nitty gritty details. But I just wanted to give you guys a list of options and um, just throw a bunch of crap at you and hopefully you guys will, you know, retain some information. <laughs> but yeah, these diets, like I said, they need more information about them to really get into why they can be good and why, you know, I would stay away from them. But, but yeah, if you guys want a diet from me, just take a few days to figure out about how many calories you consume, so your maintenance calories. And then shoot them my way and, you know, I'll help you set up a first-time diet for, you know, macros, caloric goals, etc. So until I get too many clients to handle, yeah, shoot me a message on Facebook, Instagram, the Trainer 7 And, yeah, so that'll do it. I'm out of here, guys. Have a nice, have a nice Independence Day weekend.